Welcome to episode 24 of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, the podcast where we discuss and examine the 75 greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. And joining us again is someone we haven't heard from in so very, very long, Mr. Al Sedano. Welcome back, Al. Hello. Yes, it's been a while. I think I just slept over, actually. It was just easier that way. Sometimes it is, but... Your floor is not that comfortable, by the way. Ow. Yeah, it's not the best. I mean, of course, we had to bring Al back. After all, who better than the host of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast than Al to come in and discuss the Jim Starlin run on Adam Warlock? With Thanos in it. With Thanos. So this is the run that was collected, or originally published, I should say, as Strange Tales 178 through 181 and Warlocks 9 through 15. So if you're reading it where it's collected, as I am in the Marvel Masterworks or in a lot of other places, they will also include Marvel Team-Up number 55, Avengers Annual number 7, and Marvel 2-in-1 Annual number 2. To get a little spoiler-heavy from now, when you're reading this, if you read up to the end of 15, keep reading through those three as well. It's definitely worth it. Okay. So, just to get the technical details out of the way, all issues were written and penciled by Jim Starlin who also contributed to inks and colors on various issues. Other issues were inked by Al Weiss or Steve Lealoha, assuming I pronounced that correctly. Colorists include uh, Glynis Oliver Ween, Steve Lealoha, Petrus Cortes Goldberg, and Michelle Wolfman. There was one issue lettered by Annette Kowecki, the rest by Tom Orzachowski. Editors started as Len Ween, moved on to Marv Wolfman, and finished with Archie Goodwin. Cover dates range from February 1975 to November 1976, with release dates ranging from November 26, 1974 to July 27, 1976. And as previously mentioned, this came out at rank number 24 in the countdown. So here we'll give a quick plug for Al's Resurrections show, and then we'll be back to discuss it in detail. In February 2014, a new podcast dedicated to the Marvel Comics character... Adam Warlock debuted. And the internet broke in half. Well, not really. Far from it, to be honest. But a few of you actually noticed, and we thank you for that. Over the course of 2014, we covered all of Adam's Silver Age adventures and have started on his Bronze Age solo series, as well as his current appearance in two Thanos specials. But it's time for a change. So I'm sad to announce that episode 20 will be the last episode of Resurrections and Adam Warlock Podcast. However, I am pleased to announce that in 2015, we will premiere the first episode, which we will call episode 21 of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Yes, the show is continuing, but now with more Thanos. Each month, we have John M. Wilson on as we cover an issue of Warlock. And the other episode of the month, we will continue to have Brian Zeno on to cover Thanos' appearances, starting with Captain Marvel 25. So join us in 2015 for Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Now with 20% more Thanos. And we're back. Yeah, so we do like to cover a few things. Significance, plot synopsis, impact of the story on the industry... Uh, should we discuss the significance first or the plot synopsis first? I always think plot synopsis is a good idea to get out of the way, just so you have the basic idea of what's happening, and therefore you don't have to go back and go, 
oh yeah, this is what happened, and that's what we're talking about. Yeah, and it's tough. I for those the plot synopsis and the significance tend to be intertwined in a lot of cases. Well, true. So there's a little bit to synopsis with both the plot and the publishing. So when Strange Tales 178 came out, it had been a while. Strange Tales was actually off the books for a while. And actually, it came back with Adam Warlock, and Adam Warlock had been canceled for a little while, too. So they were both gone for a bit. Okay, so Strange Tales had been out of publication for a while. The last issue with Doctor Strange and Nick Fury was cover dated May 1968. Strange Tales returned in September 1973 with Brother Voodoo as the title character. Ooh. And he maintained the lead up to 173. 174 was the Gollum, who was there through 176 as well, or through 177. Sorry, and then with 178, it kicked in with Adam Warlock. So I'm not sure who was in 175. I don't have that reprinted in any of my collections. Huh. Oh, well. But either way, they were both were back, the title and the character. Yes. And it's kind of odd, because there there were financial advantages for the company to continue numbering with previous titles, because there was different deals and different costs for shipping and funding if they started with a new number one, which is why when they had their explosion... And they split books, so, you know, Strange Tales got split. Tales to Astonish got split. In all cases, one of the books maintained the original numbering. Yeah, that's right, because Hulk continued on from Tales to Astonish. Uh, Captain America continued from Tales of Suspense. Yep, so that's one of the reasons we didn't see that, you know, relatively frequent rebooting with new number ones that we've been seeing for the past few years at both Marvel and DC. Yeah, well, yeah, same same thing like X-Men. X-Men came back with 94. Warlock, even when they bring back his own title here, goes back, jumps back to number nine, not number one again. Yeah, at least with X-Men, it was, even though a bunch of the issues were reprints, they never actually stopped publication. Yeah. They just shifted to bi-monthly. So, but in any event, Strange Tales. So, as we said, this did pick up the first four pages of Strange Tales 178, recap everything that came before it. Short version, it seems like Roy Thomas said, what if the New Testament was happening today instead of 2,000 years ago? So they took Adam Warlock, originally known as him from Fantastic Four, and cast him in a messiah role on a newly created Earth that the High Evolutionary put together, and then... Called Counter-Earth. Yeah, the Counter-Earth was there on the opposite side of the sun, which always irks me, because that's actually an... Yeah, we wouldn't see it easily, but it is an unstable orbit. If you've got two bodies on opposite sides of an orbit like that, especially with e- with equal mass, it will be unstable and throw them both out into space. 70s pseudoscience. Good enough. Yeah. (laughs) That's how it works. Yeah, it's a point that's often missed and tends to irk me. But we'll get to more physics things that irk me when we get to issues like 13 and 14. I was uh, reading that and I was thinking, oh, I have a feeling he's going to have something to say about this. Yeah. Should be entertaining. Uh, So in any event, that's the, the quick recap. Now, after this, when Starlin took over the book, because he hadn't worked with Warlock prior to this... He's picking up with new themes. Yes. He's, he's still examining the relationship between man and the religion, but it's not so much, you know, retelling the New Testament as it could be playing out today. Yeah, Adam's not cast as a specific role anymore, like he was in the first one as the Messiah. Yeah, here he's more allowed to break that mold and become his own character, but this really addresses religious extremism more than the more mainstream beliefs that were addressed in the first portion of the run. Yeah. So, and in fact, it starts off completely different setting, even because at the end of the first set of Warlock, where I should say those issues of Hulk were finished off, he left Counter Earth. So there was a nice closing to it, that whole chapter, and it just 
the new new series starts off with where it left off, basically Adam wandering through space. Yep, and he's soon uh, caught by a woman who's trying to warn him about the Universal Church of Truth, run by the evil Magus, who appears just in time to kill her. And this puts Warlock on a path to stop this reign of terror from this evil god, basically. Yeah. Um, imagine a, a religion led by an individual where the individual and his followers make the Westboro Baptist Church seem normal. That's essentially what we're dealing with here. These are the crusades taken to the extreme. You become a member of the Universal Church of Truth, or they destroy you. If they want you to. Yeah. Because if they decide you, you shouldn't be part of it, then you're, you and your race are dead. And they've been around for a couple thousand years. I mean, there's <laughs> apparently like a thousand worlds that they control. So this is an empire. This is, as he says at one point in the issues, he's not fighting just a god or an army. He's fighting an empire. He is. And in this run, we are introduced to a number of characters that are going to show up, not just later in Marvel, but later in this countdown. We have got Pip the Troll. We have got Gamora, both of whom are introduced for the first time. And we have got Thanos being reintroduced after his original story arc through Captain Marvel and the Avengers and whatnot. The short version of the first few issues running through the four Strange Tales and the first three issues of Warlock's solo title are essentially that, you know, as Warlock is trying to track down the Magus and and his empire, starting with the Matriarch, who's the one who's actually running the day-to-day operations, he recruits Pip the Troll because he knows the lay of the land better than Warlock does. Gamora kind of joins up because that's part of Thanos' master plan. He found her and basically engineered her to be the most dangerous woman in the galaxy which is a title that she deserves. Yes. And we ultimately learn that the Magus is actually a dark future self of the Warlock. He's got a few possible timelines he can go down. And if he succumbs to his darker side and the corrupting influence of the soul gem that he has on his forehead, then he will become the Magus and he will become this evil despot who goes back 5,000 years and builds this empire. And oddly enough, he would be the chosen avatar to fight for the sanctity of life. Because as twisted and evil as he is, his goal is to conquer the living things and have the universe filled with living things under his rule. Whereas Thanos is the avatar of death who's here to destroy it all. Yep, and he is the one chosen, I guess, after Captain Marvel defeated him, the next one to defeat Thanos, or defeat Thanos' next scheme. Oh, yes. So you have a kind of dual thing there, because as you're reading this, you're like, okay, oh, he's Warlock's future. Well, Warlock has to stop this. And then as Warlock's trying to stop that, in the process of that, you have Thanos and the Magus fighting. You're like, oh, well, wait now, who's worse? Because the Magus is needed, because the Magus is so much more powerful than Warlock, he can defeat Thanos. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reason Thanos is help. That's the reason Thanos shows up to help Adam Warlock. It's not that Thanos is such a great guy, and Thanos, you know, thinks Adam Warlock is a friend, although this actually is the beginning of the relationship, which I believe is actually... Why Adam Warlock is end up becoming one of the few people Thanos probably would consider a friend if he would actually debase himself to say he has something like that. I don't think he would ever admit it, but it's the closest thing he has to a friend. Closest, yes. Yes, it's the closest. Yeah. It's close. It's close as you're going to get with Thanos. Yeah, maybe it's because my girlfriend and I have been rewatching Deep Space Nine and going through the Listen to the Prophets podcast, but the Warlock Thanos relationship is kind of like the Quark and Odo relationship. They yeah. know they've got opposing goals. They know that they are there, you know, they're going to eventually have to stop each other, but neither of them will admit that they actually have respect for the other. And sometimes they're the only ones they can actually talk openly with each other with because of that. Exactly. Just the nature of their personalities and their histories, their enemies are the closest they may have to friends. Yeah. Which is a little twisted, but. 
but yeah, but with that's why Thanos is trying to do this. It's not that he likes Warlock. He thinks Warlock is a lot easier to defeat. He'd rather defeat him than Magus. Yep, so he's trying to eliminate that massive obstacle by keeping him this weaker golden character. Yeah, and it ends up with Adam Warlock uh, finding his path of possible futures, uh, basically purifying and eliminating the one that becomes a Magus, and then following the shortest path of himself for, that his, his other, that is left for him, and um, killing himself in the future. Yep. Yeah, so the, the Magus no longer exists. That timeline has ended. The Universal Church of Truth is dissolved. And the only ones who remember that are Thanos, Pip, Gamora, and Warlock, because they were sort of at the eye of the storm or the Nexus when it happened. Yeah, they were involved with the changing everything. They were right there. Everyone else, no clue. So that is the nutshell version of Strange Tales 178 through Warlock 11. So, real quick, does that mean there's another version of Gamora out there? It's it's possible. Hmm. Just one, just all of a sudden just popped in my head. And I, I don't know if that's ever been brought up, but because she was originally... From the fu- from a bit in the future, she was one of the races that the Universal Church of Truth had decided to eliminate. Thanos saved her and then brought her back in time with him to embrace her, and that's when he raised her, because that was the whole purpose. It wasn't just he needed somebody who hated the Magus, but he did. But because of taking her back in time to before she was born, she would he was hoping that the Magus senses would not notice her, so she'd be able to sneak up and possibly kill him. Yeah. Which almost worked. Yes. So, but that just means then that since not, that these things didn't happen, I wonder if that means there's still a Gamora out there who... Yeah, there could be a very innocent, non-dangerous little Gamora in the near future. Just just popped in my head just now. Nothing to do with the story, but... No, but it is it is a path that's out there for a what-if writer at some point. We've got, following that, Warlock number 12 is really a Pip the Troll story. I believe Warlock's yep. in there for about a page and a half. He's in there for a couple. They have uh, he's in like the first two pages with Pip, and then they have a page or two of him in the middle because who was editing at the time there? According to the editor's note, they're insisting that the title character appear in at least a few more pages. Yeah, I believe it was the Marf Wolfman or Marv yeah. Wolfman era, but yeah. And in fact, that's the page. It's been reprinted a lot. It's a page of Adam Warlock sitting, kind of like relaxed on, uh, kind of like spread out almost on an asteroid, and it's just four different shots coming closer and closer of him and the asteroid talking to himself. Yeah. Following that, we've got issues 13 and 14, where Adam Warlock is 420 light years from Earth, and there's a guy in a coma on Earth who's been denied all of his senses. He's managed to reach out with his mind. And sorry, there's just so much wrong with the science in these two issues. Uh, First of all, it claims that humans only use 10% of their brain, which we know to be patently false. Even This isn't a case of the original research being flawed. This is a case of the mass media misinterpreting what the original research said. Yeah, the original research said that every portion of our brain is used at one time or another. But if you're just basically sitting in a chair thinking about one thing, only 10% of your brain is used for those active thoughts. A portion of the brain is used to keep your lungs, you know, keep you breathing, keep your heart pumping. If you're multitasking, so reading or watching TV or doing both, you open up more of the brain. So we can use 100% of the brain if we're at the right level of multitasking with the right tasks. Yeah, and that that 10% thing, that's been in the media for years and years and years. I mean, that's almost like standard knowledge at this point. Most people, I don't want to say, I I can't say no that because it's not true, but most people know that. I mean, in fact, Al, that's the origin of uh, DC's Deathstroke Determinator. That's why he has those reflexes. He uses the other 90% of his brain. And I think that's why the myth is so pervasive. Everyone has heard it, even if a larger and larger percentage of us understand that it's not true. But 
it's such a great idea for writers to work with that they like to latch onto it. And that's where we get our Lucy's, our death strokes. But anyway, he's reaching out and he's stealing the stars. So Adam Warlock, who's 420 light years away, is able to move at fast and light speeds, but it'll still take him weeks to get back to Earth. Meanwhile, back on Earth, they are seeing the stars disappear. They're 420 light years away. That means it would take 420 years for that blackness <laughs> to reach us. And they're seeing it now. Well, would it be easier for you, would it be better if he was a mutant, first off? Because then it's not that I'm using the other part of my brains. You know, it's maybe that's just his reasoning because he doesn't know he's a mutant. Well, yeah, they could do something to have a better origin for him than, I was cut off from my senses, so I decided to reach out and grasp the universe. How do you know you're cut off from everything if you have no senses? So it's, he needed a different origin, but that's like half a page. Yeah. You can do that, but yeah, there's other issues with, Okay, you know, he's powerful enough to not just steal these stars, but basically main, keep their gravitational field in place. So, yeah, I go he's a mutant with, like, you know, almost beyond a level of power. He's taking, the, like you said, he's taking those stars away, but leaving their gravity, you know, the gravity, everything there. Nothing has changed, really. And he's even taking the light. So wherever the light was going, he has it. Yeah, it's, I mean, these are comic books. I have no problems with them trying to come up with an explanation to make this happen. That's fine. It's just this explanation doesn't work at all. No, no, I know. Yeah, I'm like, I'm sitting there reading that going, even I know that it takes the light time to get there. But I figure, okay, if he's just, if he's just taking it all, if he's that powerful, including taking the, he's taking the light, then I can go with it. Then I'm like, okay, good enough. That's close enough now. That makes much more sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> In a bizarre way. So anyway, Warlock realizes he doesn't have weeks because this quote unquote star thief knows he's coming. So he goes through a black hole, not a wormhole, but a black hole. And comes out the other side when black holes don't have other sides. It would have to have been a wormhole formed by two black holes. But again, yeah, if any mass energy goes in, the wormhole collapses. But well, I, I was, wasn't black holes becoming popular then, like really in the consciousness? I mean, that's only about a few years before Disney's The Black Hole. Yeah, that was, I believe, uh, early 79 or late 1978. And this would have been 19... Yeah, and this issue would have been published in 76. So it's definitely in the right era for that. But yeah, at that point... Again, the idea that wormhole or black holes can form wormholes and allow fast and light travel was something that a lot of people grabbed onto, but it only took a couple of months after that was published for another publication saying, yeah, and if we watch what happens to the black hole when anything with mass or energy goes in, even a single photon, the tunnel collapses, and you get two black holes and you don't get a tunnel anymore. Yeah. So the universe seems rigged to prevent cause and effect rules from being broken. So anyway, Warlock comes out the other side, and now he is huge. Because apparently the universe expands at different rates in different regions, which actually is, it's an idea in the expanding universe theory. Not a terribly, terribly popular one, but it is an idea that's been seriously bandied around. So it's an actual theory. Yeah, it wouldn't have these effects because it's, he is dramatically larger. And the issue is that the space would be different, but if you move from one space to the other, you would reset and still fit that space. So even if he was larger on one end of the galaxy, when he comes out into this end, he would renormalize and go back to his original size. Now, as best as you know, with your with from that this theory, would that still hold true if he came from some kind of wormhole like here, as opposed to going through normal space where he would reset each time in space to match it? He's gone from just you know he's jumped from level fifty to level five, so to speak, video game wise. Yeah, if you have the same number of atoms spread out over that much space, like the size of the space is what determines the size of the bonds. So the portion of space time you're in tells you the distance between atoms in your molecular bonds. If you move, okay. they would have to reset. So either he would shrink back to normal size, or he would essentially evaporate because he's been spread too thin. Okay. 
either way, it, this doesn't work. But all of this, you know, their their conflict, the Star Thief throwing other adversaries against him, the grueling event of going through the black hole, coming out much bigger than Earth so he can never go home again. All of this seems to be resetting Warlock to make sure he can never go home again, because really all Warlock's function was in this story was to distract the Star Thief enough so that he loses control of his bodyguard, who realizes he's being manipulated by the Star Thief and knows he's responsible for it, and kills the guy. Yeah. So it's really the security guard, just a normal guy who happens to be armed, kills him. The people of Earth have no idea what he's just done. He's saying, I've saved you, don't you understand? I saved us all. And he's absolutely right, but gets institutionalized anyway. To be fair, he was a little crazy as a, anyway. This, from the Star Thief doing those things to him, I think he had gone a little crazy. Yeah, he had. They reference that. They even have that thing where he says that the Star he says Barry, the Star Thief's real name, had been bad. He goes, yes, very bad, so bad. Yeah. Like, okay, you've gone a little wacko. Oh, very much so. And then the way this story ends with issue 15, Thanos is still doing his plan to destroy the entirety of the cosmos. He sends Gamora as Warlock's bodyguard, and she gets attacked by someone that we can't identify yet unless you are really up to date on your previous Starlin issues. You might recognize that kind of silhouetted character that we don't get a very clear look at. I knew who it was. I knew. Me. Yep, some of us did. Uh, but if you were reading these starting with these issues, you probably wouldn't. No. Even if you've seen him in the movies, because he looks quite a bit different. Yeah, no cape. So she gets attacked. We see Pip the Troll in his new career as essentially a pickpocket. We see Adam Warlock setting up his future. And that's the last issue of this series. The story continues elsewhere, but that's where this collection ends. Yeah, basically... This collection just does the Starlin written and drawn issues. It doesn't do anything else. With this set of issues, there are two clear and effective ending points that I count. Warlock issue 15 is not one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Warlock is not an ending point. No. It's, you could end with 11 because that wraps up the mega story. Definitely. You could end with the Marvel 2-in-1 annual number 2 because that wraps up this story. Yes. That wraps up the entirety of everything, because that ends up Warlock, Thanos, Pip, Gamora. Everyone who's a character here, their story ends there, and won't be brought back really again until more or less Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, yeah, or at least the, the last few issues that were that existed just to set the stage for Infinity Gauntlet. Yes, yes. So, yeah, the way this ends, this just ends with issue 15, which, yes, is the last issue of Warlock. But for one thing, I mean, it's very much a cliffhanger issue. I mean... Gamora gets her ship gets smashed to pieces, and that's all we see. We don't see what Thanos is planning. We don't see what happens to Gamora. Pip at least just picks someone's pocket and walks away. And with Adam, though, we get this whole revelation that apparently everyone he knows is going to die, and he's going to be hated before he dies, which he knows is happening soon anyway. And then that issue ends, and then, yes, we have those last two or three issues which wrap up the story. But to me, it's like reading Lord of the Rings or watching the movie, depending on what you've done. And getting to the point where Sam and Frodo with the ring get to the point where, like, look, we're at Mount Doom finally. All right, close the book. Good enough. It's like, no, that's that, that's the end of the story. No, it's not. That's just stopping. That's not the end of a story. It's not a stopping point. That's not like they, and they arrive safely at Rivendell. At least you can kind of, you know, there's like a few other places there where you can stop for a while and go, okay, that's the end of it. That's a story. You know, the Hobbit's getting to Rivendell. But you, like, almost got to the end. You got 80% of it done, and then, no. Yeah, I would, I wouldn't say it's quite the same as Mount Doom. I'd say compared to the Lord of the Ring books, everything in Mount Doom is like taking care of the Magus, and that was done. This feels more like they get back to the Shire, find out it's been scoured, and then you end the book. 
oh, like you get back to the part where they get to the show and go, hey, stuff's happening here. All right, that's good enough. Yeah, because it's it really is setting the stage. I mean, the main thrust of those first few issues is over and done with. The Magus has been defeated by yeah. simply not existing. Yeah, and that's a specific story. Yeah, and that ends right there. And these next few issues are just kind of like a few one shots, more or less. As I guess Strong was trying to figure out what to do next with the book, and then was told, "Oh, it's canceled." Yeah, twelve, thirteen, and fourteen are not really serials. So twelve can stand on its own. Thirteen and fourteen can stand on their own. But the it seems like the sole purpose of fifteen is to start the next chapter. Yeah. In Warlock's life, so it's yeah, because that looks like he's setting up everything for his next story, and then he's told, "Nope." Yeah, so if you're reading along at home, I'd say either stop at 11 or continue through those those other three issues. I would say continue those other three issues, because it's re- really worth reading those other three issues. Mostly the last two. But the Marvel Team-Up issue does deal with the whole Warlock being giant-sized thing. Yeah, and it will eventually get you to the to the status quo that we see effectively kicking off the Infinity Gauntlet, which is story number seven in this countdown. So... Yeah, it might. if you've read this, it might be nice to read those other three and find out what the heck is going on next. Yeah. All right, so that's I mean, that's the plot synopsis. In terms of the, the significance of this, when we say he meets Pip the Troll and Gamora, this is where they first appear. This is you know another story that shows more of Thanos, but this is where Thanos and Warlock really start to interact on a regular basis. This introduces the Magus, who is also a part of, well, not so much Infinity Gauntlet, but... Infinity War and Infinity Crusade, which follow and may feed into the movies, but... Yes, and also was used by uh, Jim Valentino in his Guardians of the Galaxy run. Well, not this Magus specifically, but the Universal Church of Truth and the concept of the Magus are used in that book. Yeah, and they are a pretty significant part of the Guardians of the Galaxy run by Abnett and Lanning that came out of Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest. Annihilation is also on this list. That's the version of Guardians of the Galaxy that seems to have been the greatest inspiration for the latest movie. Yes, because, well, that's the team, for one thing. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah, that that's the only version that Gamora and Rocket and Star-Lord and, and Groot, Groot, and I think even Drax have been a part of. Yes. Well, because the other version of Guardians of the Galaxy is the future one. So you you have a few people from the past who have been a member, but really it was only, what, Yellow Jacket, the female Yellow Jacket was a member. And I think that's it. I think everyone else has always been from the future of that initial team. Well, Vance Astrovic was that Justice Vance Astro was a, a future self of Vance Astrovic, who is also Marvel Boy and Justice in the New Warriors. Yeah, but I don't count him because I mean I don't count him because that version of him had actually aged. He wasn't a time traveler. He had actually been cryogenic yeah. fast, but he aged. So I don't count him. I'm talking about people who actually just jumped from the future present to the future. Yeah, he didn't transport there. He's just really bloody old. Yes, exactly. He's at th- over a thousand years old. But yeah, that team of guardians is all. I think, like I said, the female yellow jacket, Rita Dima something. I forget her exactly her name. But she was the only one who was a member from the 20th century. Every other version of the Guardians of the Galaxy is this current one. Yeah. Although Vance is a member of both. Yeah. So that's that. That's a lot of you know what impact this had on the industry. This is setting up these characters that are major players in Marvel's cosmic universe. Largely because for a long time, Jim Starlin was really the only creator that was playing with Marvel's Cosmic Universe. This, I mean, this is one of the stories that sets up Thanos as being the Thanos we know. I mean, this set up the legend of Thanos, really. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah, without this, we don't have Infinity Gauntlet. Without that, we don't have Infinity War or Infinity Crusade or Infinity Abyss. Although people may not lament all of those to the same degree if they didn't exist. (laughs) 
Let's just say that there's some that I'm not surprised didn't make the list. <laughs> and without those, we wouldn't have Annihilation. The whole Abnett and Landing run, their cosmic run, that started with Keith Giffen's Annihilation, went through Nova, Annihilation, Conquest, Guardians of the Galaxy, War of Kings, and ended with Thanos Imperative. I mean, that's some of the best cosmic comics that I've read. And they're they're just great even if you're not looking for cosmic stories. They are just great stories. And without this run, you couldn't tell those stories. Because this is where the groundwork came in. This essentially creates a whole section of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, Jim Starlin basically created what we consider a Marvel Cosmic. Yeah, very much so. I mean, you can say Marvel technically Marvel Cosmic was created by, you know, Stan and Jack and Fantastic Four. You know, with seeding the rate, you know, all these races and Galactus and these concepts, the Watcher, etc. But that's basically the seeds. But that's basically they did the seeds for most of the stuff of the Marvel Universe, especially there in Fantastic Four. A lot of it, a lot of the seeds for most of the Marvel Universe are just laid there. But they're just the seeds. This is someone actually doing something with it. Yeah. If you find a longtime Marvel Comics reader and say, name a character from Marvel Cosmic, they don't pull out the Fantastic Four or Thor who visited Cosmic and were part of this they will probably name someone Jim Starlin created. Yes. Or use exclu- extensively. Yeah. Because he did not create Adam after all. True. Although he did, I think, define him. Oh, yes. When he's first created, he was so indefined, he didn't have a name. No, he was him. And then when Roy Thomas and Friedrich were using him in the first eight issues of the series, he was more of the uh, Messiah character. But you could definitely see him be, you know, the seeds of this character there. But yeah, the mod- the version of Warlock that we know is basically the one that um, Starlin made him into. Yeah, because even Roy Thomas was, for most practical purposes, he was writing Jesus. He wasn't thinking yes. Warlock. To the point that when Starlin gets his own Warlock title, it's issue nine to save on those production costs, but the cover says, pulse-pounding premier issue, now at last in his own census-shattering mag. Yeah. This is not the first time he's had his own book, which is why it's issue nine. Yeah. <laughs> Here's our first ish- premier issue, nine. Wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, and yet everything on the trade dress is basically saying it's new, because this... Yeah. Starlin, as I said, by by taking it out of the specific messiah and dealing with a generic extremist cult, Warlock is finally allowed to grow into his own and be his own character. So he's consistent with the template set by Roy Thomas, but somebody else could pick up after the end of the Roy Thomas run, take it a completely different different direction, and it would still be consistent. You can't do that after the Starlin no. run. No, which is why if you read the history of Warlock, read his issues, you can see each interpretation of him before this. They're figuring it out, and it's changing, and it doesn't matter whether it's the same as before or not. Once you get to the Starlin one, that's the one that's been set ever since. Yeah. And it's to the point, one of the early issues, like, I don't know what to do with this guy. Okay, this issue starts eight months after the last one, he's in his cocoon, and he comes out as someone new. Yeah. They've quite literally rebooted the character, because that's possible, given his history. Which is how we get the Magus, also. Yep, very much so, at least this time. The Magus that appears in Infinity Gauntlet has, or Infinity War has a different origin. But And also, actually, we also get uh, other influences on this. We also get the first appearance of a couple cosmic characters, including the Inbetweener. I'm pretty certain that's his first appearance in here. Yeah, I mean, he's not the big. It's not like, you know, a level of saying we created Galactus or Eternity, but he is one of the big Marvel cosmic characters. You know, and whenever they bring out all those cosmic guys, you know, Chaos and Order... Galactus, Eternity, Celestials. Inbetweeners usually there as well. Yeah, he's in the line of if they bring out the big cosmic heavy hitters like Infinity Gauntlet 5, he is there every time. So, I mean, that's definitely a significance to it, is that it's 
brings out one of these characters. Yeah, he's a background. He's not the most important, but it's always there. Everyone, you know, he's everyone draws him in there because he's expected to be. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's a player for Marvel Cosmic. He is. If you're just looking at the cosmic entities that are like defining parts of the universe, you could argue whether he's on the A or B list of them. It really depends on how big your A list is. Yeah. When they came out with Marvel trading cards, he got one. Oh, oh wow, that's right. And lastly, significance, of course, is that, like we said, Starlin created a lot of the characters that are being used in the movies. So, you know, this is, like we said, Gamora. We wouldn't have her in the movie if we didn't have this. Oh, yeah, Gamora. Um, this isn't where he created Drax, but just to spoil it, Drax the Destroyer from the movies is the character that attacks Gamora in yes. issue 15. And, yeah, Thanos is clearly a big player in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, Starlin created him prior to this run, but he is... Very much a Starlin character. Yes. he's. Always, in fact, I don't think he's been by, used by anyone else but Starlin at this point. Because he appeared in the issue of Iron Man Starlin did. He was in it was an issue of like Marvel Feature and uh, Captain Marvel. Yep, he was definitely Starlin's baby, and nobody else touched him for a long time. I don't think anyone else did him well, aside from Abnett and Lanning. And I have to wonder how much of a surprise this was for readers back then, if they knew who Thanos was. It's one thing to have the, a villain show up to help the hero because I want another villain. But really, I mean, beyond the fact that Thanos says, yes, Warlock will be easier for me to defeat down the road than the Magus is, there's no betrayal. There's no stabbing in the back part. You know, like if Doctor Doom shows up to help the FF because Galactus is here and he wants his, the Earth to be saved too, you know Doom is before the end of that story. They're going to have to deal with Doom because Doom's going to do something. They yeah. part and Thanos like, okay, we're all done. Good job, everybody. Yeah. And he leaves. Like, that's it. Doesn't kill, any, you know, doesn't attack any of the main heroes. He says he's here to help, and that's all he does. Yeah. I mean, he's very much setting up his long-term plans. That's not the immediate oh, yes. backstab. But but th- that's, but still, I mean, that's different. I mean, read most of those books then. If that, there was a team up with the villain, they were fighting the villain before the end of that story arc. Yeah. You know, not later down the road. Yeah. And <laughs> definitely not decades later. Yeah, I mean, there was no, you know, here is just that there was no, it wasn't even like the villain escaped. There was, okay, good job, we all did it, we all did what we had to do. Take care, guys, see you later. Yeah. So, how did you first read this story? I first read, read this story back when I was first, early days of reading comics, from 90, 91, 92. I forget the exact year, exactly when it was. I mean, I know it was around Infinity Gauntlet. They had reprinted, because of Infinity Gauntlet, these issues of Warlock, including the last three we mentioned. There was it was a re, it was a six issue prestige form well not prestige format but six issue miniseries it was like double size it was like forty eight pages each I think no ads and they reprinted all these issues and the fun part interesting fun part about that was that they just said they just reprinted them all there up until sometimes even using the inside back cover and would just go until they had to and just stop it so you would get issues chopped in the middle because you know they just went okay we have forty eight pages count out forty eight pages. Put that in there. Next 48. Didn't matter where it ended. That could be irritating. It was weird. I actually, for a while there, I thought I wasn't even sure, like, what issue was what. Like, I knew I had read these Warlock issues, but I didn't know what ended where. That would not be ideal. But yeah, so I read these early on in my comic reading career, because I started really reading stuff from, like, 87. So this was, by 92, I had read these. Okay, yeah, it's, I also read it in reprint. I mean, these were published before I was born, so I wasn't reading as they came out the first time. I actually picked them up. It was during the Abnett and Landing run when Warlock was reintroduced and becoming more popular again. Marvel put out their masterworks of both Warlocks, and I was able to get them at half cover price. 
So I got the first two volumes of the Adam Warlock Masterworks years after having read Infinity Gauntlet, War, and Crusade, and following them there. So I picked three up and read them in that context, or picked up the, the two trades. So I've read them in the last 10 years in the Masterworks. So I just read the issues in reading order, which is nice because you don't have the breaks between series. You don't have the bi-monthly schedule. Well, yeah. And this is fairly heavily serialized for a good chunk of it. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely a stronger tie in the story between Strange Tales 181 and Warlock 9. Well, they lead directly into each other. It, it's just one of those cases where, you know, don't even pretend that they're different series because they're really not. Yeah. I mean, I think actually this is probably one of the reasons why I'm doing the Warlock podcast. Warlock's always been a favorite character of mine, probably because, you know, early on reading, they do the Infinity Gauntlet, which is this huge event book. And right around the same time, I had this, you know, they had this reprint series I read, which did all this origin and background character stuff. And I'm like 13, 14, 15 at the time. So, it, you know, it's blowing my teenage mind. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, killing his future self. I mean, that's perfectly angsty enough for any teenager. Yeah. You know, that's perfect. I mean, it's one of the reasons X-Men was so popular. You know, that fit was perfect for, you know, that age, you know, age group. It didn't matter what group you were, or even if your group was just teenager, you felt hated and oppressed by everybody. And Adam Warlock, especially here, is perfect for any time you're depressed, you know, you get a little depressed or mopey, especially as a teenager, and Adam's right there for you, because he's perfectly miserable. Yeah, to the point where if he starts to feel happy, he's like, I gotta be missing something. What is there to be miserable, miserable about? Let me yeah. go look for it to find what I'm missing, because I can't be happy ever. What am I gonna do in the future? Let me find out. Maybe I can do something else and kill myself again. The only person who gets to commit suicide successfully and still be alive. Yeah. Alright, so... One of the things that we like to do with these podcasts is a section that I have shamelessly stolen from Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, which we should all be listening to. Shame, shame. Yeah. And yeah, just discuss whether or not there's any morals, messages, or meanings that come across <laughs> in these issues. I think there's a few. Oh, yeah. I would say Strange Tales 178 through Warlock 11. It's a fun story, but it seems to be driven by sending certain messages. And morals. The rest, not quite so much. Yeah. Yeah. The other ones don't really have anything yet. I mean, if he had been able to continue the book to like issue 20, yeah, I'm sure there would have been something from 15 to 20. Yeah. But 15 is just the start, you know, barely start of anything. Yeah. It, it definitely feels like Starlin want to come back to it. But those first few issues, I mean, religious extremism happens sometimes violently, sometimes not. Often it is violent, but there's a lot of commentary here about how these people. The people in the Universal Church of Truth, such as Judge Krator and you know some of the other characters involved, honestly believe they're doing the right thing. Yes, they believe what they are doing is good. Yeah, and in spite of the, the fact that they are oppressive, they're running a kangaroo court where the conviction is determined before the case has been heard based on falsified evidence that they know to be false. But they really do believe the universe will be a better place because there will be more believers and fewer non-believers or unbelievers, whatever you'd like to call them. They believe that that is the best way for the life to be, that that is a good thing. Yeah, but they even flat out say that they, you know, they're so concerned about judging others that they're unable to step back and judge themselves and see what's going on. And that is true of so many. I mean, earlier on, I mentioned the Westboro Baptist Church, and that's kind of a shining example of a group that is not representative of what Christianity is actually about. And this is coming from a non-Christian. I can look at what the teachings of Christianity are supposed to be versus what yeah. the Westboro Baptist Church is interpreting them to be. And you're like, there's a big disconnect here. Yeah, this is a case of people deciding the way they want the world to be and then looking through their religious text to 
cherry pick the bits and pieces and sometimes fragments of passages that support that belief yeah. and disregard the rest. So that's definitely one of the big themes in this book is what is good, not just good and evil, but what is good and evil. Again, like we said before, the Magus is evil, but so is Thanos. And the Magus is supposed to be there to stop Thanos. So is it good for Adam to stop the Ma- himself from becoming the Magus? Or is it good to become the Magus, do those evil things so you can stop Thanos? Like, what's the good? Which is good? Which is evil there? It is. And even the in-betweener, when Warlock is facing the in-betweener head on, he's actually told flat out, right and wrong and good and evil are human constructions based on human ethics. They are not universal truths. And you can see some of that. If you look at different cultures, you know, some things that are acceptable in one part of the world are not acceptable in others. So there's a question. The trend seems to be amongst the world, generally speaking, as we mature and as we deal with others, the short version is, you know, you're, it's okay to work for your own happiness, but not at the expense of others. That I think is the, the overall trend and the thrust of a lot of these religions. Yeah. Right. For the most part. Yeah. Be happy to continue your, your own pursuit of personal happiness, but don't harm or screw others over in the process. That's largely what it boils down to. And how you do it within that framework can vary dramatically from region to region. Yes. You know, and what is severe and what is not. You know, what attire is appropriate in one part of the world versus another. <laughs> Different behaviors, how you gr- greetings, etc. You know, how you say how you say hi. Yeah. I mean, it's I live in a part of a world where it is legal for everyone to walk around shirtless, but it's only socially, socially acceptable for the men to do it. There's other parts of the world where, you know, nobody wears shirts. There's other parts of the world where people look at you funny if they could see your mouth. Yeah. Especially if you're a woman. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of variety here, and he's addressing this head on. He's like, you know... Maybe don't judge others based on your criteria, because your criteria may not be universal. Yeah, your criteria might not be their criteria, and who's to say your criteria is the correct criteria? Exactly. So this is one of the ones I'm, I mean, to talk about why we think it landed at this point in the rankings, I think it's here because not only is it an entertaining story, which is one of the three things we look at, not only is it important to the continuity of the Marvel Universe, because as we said, Infinity Gauntlet, We'll talk about that yeah. in more detail, but story number seven couldn't exist without this one. So there's a strong indicator. And then finally, this actually does have a social message to tell. So whichever of these three criteria, whatever combination you're looking for, they've got it all. Yeah. There's even more than just that. It's also, uh, I mean, themes there. Self. Who are you? Because Warlock, and again, going with the whole teenage thing, he's looking at his future self going, how do I become this thing? Which I have a feeling a lot of people... If you took their teenage selves and brought them forward to see them, a lot of times the teenage self will go, how is that me? You know, not just physically, but behavior wise. Oh, yeah. You know, and whether we're just talking about the fact that you've actually changed, you know, you actually have become something that you'd hate or just that your teenage self was so naive that it's not that your future self is something horrible. It's just, no, yeah, I had to get a job because I would like to eat something and not live in mom's basement anymore. Yeah. But the disconnect, I mean, the way you perceive the world and yourself when you're 15, 16 years old, and the way you perceive the world and yourself when you're 30 are vastly different. Well, yeah, I mean... Or they should be. Yeah, by day, I'm a teacher. I've never had a student say to me, I want to be a telemarketer when I grow up. And yet, there's a lot of them in the world. And you know what? The vast majority of them aren't there because that was what they were striving for. It's, I've got bills to pay, sometimes multiple mouths to feed. How many people manning those phones have you met that are just... You know, often single parents had kids before they were really ready, and now they got mouths to feed and no high school diploma to back it up. So guess what they're doing? Yeah. Right. And it's you 
12 year old would go, Oh my God, I would never do that. 20 year old, it's, Hey, you know what? My kid's stomach is full. I'm good with this. I'd yeah. like something better, but my kid's stomach is full. So I'm good with this. Yeah. I would never sell out, never work for the man or anything like that. Yeah. Then the reality of life when you're older and that's Warlock is head to head with that. He's faced with himself, his future self, his future purple, silver, Afro self. And his whole attitude is very much, okay, I can't become that guy, but in order to stop that guy, I have to take the first few steps down the road to becoming that guy. Yes. I have to actually understand him a little bit to be able to become him, but if you're actually understanding them, you're actually getting that mindset a little bit. You can get there at least. It is, yeah. It's that the road to hell is paved with good intentions kind of thing, where we can actually see reading it, the warlock is on the path to becoming the Magus because he's so determined to stop the Magus. Exactly. Which makes me wonder... Early on, we know that he was a version of Warlock. We didn't know he was a future version right away. Yeah, sorry, because that's revealed in the first issue, that he's part of Warlock somehow. Yeah, yeah, but it's not until he's past the point in the return that we find out he's a future version. Had he known from the start he was a future version, and I wonder, had he chosen to walk away and ignore the problem and not help, as Warlock has tended to do, would he have gone far enough down that path to become the Magus in the first place? True, because he stayed away from that, then... (laughs) Yeah, because it really was that the path that started forming the Magus was the path that he had to go down to stop him. And in fact, the Magus even says at one point, I set these things up to make sure I would become what I am. Yes, there there is a, a lot of meat there. Yeah. So, And I think that's that's a big part of why this is on the list. So. No, I agree. Because this is definitely, we are in the top 25 at least, right? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, this is 24. Oh, no, that's right. Okay, I couldn't remember exactly what number we're at. Yeah, we are in the top third, so the... We are well past the point, I would think, where most of us are going to read it and go, why is this on the list? And well into the, okay, why does it have this spot on the list? Yeah. And I think one of the reasons it's as low as it is on this high part of the, you know, on the third of the list is probably because of the age only. Yeah, there's there's some of that. Because one of the issues that we have is because one of the criteria that a lot of the voters seem to use is that importance in terms of continuity. The newer the story the harder that is to judge, right? For example, the Hawkeye run wasn't even finished when we had to discuss it in the podcast because it ran so far behind. Yeah. It's going to be really difficult to see what kind of impact that's going to have 10 years from now at the time of recording. This is old enough that we've seen the impact. And yeah. it's, it, we're coming up on the, well, it's the 40-year mark has kind of passed depending on whether you want to look at the start or the end of this run. Yeah. But it's pretty close to the 40-year mark, and especially those last 20 years or 25 years, we've seen a big impact from this story. Yeah, because I mean, it's hard to tell the impact right away. I mean, once these stories are over and their characters are all, their stories finished, you know, in, about, in like 77 and 78, we don't see them again till like 1990. I mean, the entire <laughs> the 80s, the impact that Adam Warlock and Thanos really have is none. They don't exist. Well, I guess Thanos you could say because we have uh, the character Nebula. Yeah. And she appears in Avengers a few times. But I mean, there is no Adam Warlock really anymore. There is no Gamora. There is no Pip. There is no Thanos. They're gone. Yeah, the, none of this, the relevance of this did not seem apparent until about that late 89, early 90 range when yeah. the pieces were getting lined up for Infinity Gauntlet. And that's where all of a sudden, this is major. Yeah, and since then it's been major. Yeah. But like I said, I, I think the reason it's only a 25, let's say, or 24 is the age because, like we had mentioned earlier before we started recording, I don't think a lot of people, I mean, I never knew about this count, about this list that Marvel was doing until after it was done. I'm, I use a Marvel Digital site a lot. I'm going online a lot, and yet I never noticed. I didn't notice anything about a voting. And I think a lot, of, like I think a lot of people who voted are very recent readers, like in the last five, ten years. So 
I don't think enough of them have gone back to reading these earlier stuff to have this be higher on. I think of more, I mean, I think if more of them had read it, they probably, it probably would be a little higher. It probably would be a little closer to, I would say 15 to 20 as opposed to 24, 25, 24. But because except for, you know, the new stuff, that's why a lot of the newer stuff, I mean, isn't civil war like at three or something. It's number two. Yeah. I mean, it's an okay story, but I don't think it deserves to be in the top 10 personally, but it's very new and popular and hot. And, I think that's why a lot of things are up the top part. I mean, not that they're not good at all, but just that they're more in the brains of the people who are voting. You know, that's more what they know. Yeah, Civil War, I believe, is Marvel's highest selling trade paperback, at least of the last decade. It does extremely well in bookstores. Yes. So, yeah, it's definitely had a lot of eyes on it. So popularity will be a factor in anything. But then again, it's popular because of the quality. Yeah. Right. You can find you can find comics that had higher initial sales, especially in the 90s, that don't get mentioned at all. Well, that is true. I mean, I'm not trying to bash a story or not. I don't, it's not like I think Civil War is horrible and everyone who voted for it is a moron. Far from yeah. it. But, you know, it. I looked at the whole list and it does look like a lot of the stuff that's in the list is because, you know, in the t- in the higher part of the list, and a lot of stuff is very recent because it's more in the heads of people, of the, re- you know, people who started reading the last 10 years or so, or because <laughs> it's the ones and they come in and pe- everyone like says, oh, Craven's Last Hunt and, you know, it's like, you know, DC and saying, Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns. You come in and start reading DC stuff. You hear about them, and uh, you know, right away. Yeah. So those are the ones you jump, you know, you jump to when you say, oh, but what about Watchmen? If you haven't read it yet, because it's in your head. Everyone knows it. Yeah. I mean, well, people who have been listening in order have already heard my thoughts on, say, House of M and Avengers versus X-Men, which are some of the more recent Marvel events. So I'd say that, yeah, there is maybe a, a, a skew in some cases towards the more recent, but that's. Part of the great things about this list, it's anyone could have voted. Yeah. The fact that that happened was not effectively publicized for a lot of cases. So a lot of people didn't realize that they could have been voting. Yeah, I would have voted. I didn't know. But like I said, and I wasn't complaining or saying these people are wrong or, you know, damn kids get off my lawn. Just that's one of the reasons, not the reason, but it's one of the reasons why I think it landed. Everything we said before is why we I think it landed in the top 25. That's one of the reasons why I think it possibly landed higher in the top, you know, or lower in the top 25 instead of, you know, towards, let's say, you know, closer to 15 or closer to 10. Yeah. Yeah. And that will, there will always be factors like that. And some of it is, you know, our own personal histories, what were important and the significant comics for us. Cause this, I mean, I would say this absolutely belongs on the list. As we said, whatever you want to look at for greatness, it's there, right? We've got good writing. We've got great art. We've got an entertaining story. We've got continuity significance. We've got an actual message and meat so that you can, you know, walk away and think about this in terms of deeper layers and other meanings. So, but is, I don't know if I would, I, I would say you could put it higher on the list. I don't know if I would put it as high as 15, because again, this is a huge piece of the cosmic corner of the Marvel universe. But, you know, aside from Starlin's Infinity Trilogy in the early nineties, that inf- cosmic corner hasn't had a huge impact on the rest of the Marvel universe. I mean, mm, sure. Amnett and Lanning had their cosmic run is phenomenal. I would recommend it to anyone. But if you're reading every book but those books that Marvel was publishing at the time, you wouldn't necessarily notice you were missing anything. Sure, you know, because they only took place in their own little corner. Yeah, that little corner it had nothing to do. With, no one else. It didn't tie into anything. Yeah. Whereas if we've got you know a big event with one of the Avengers or one of the X Men, it's everywhere. It, yeah, it, it tends to bleed out into the other books because you know if if uh, Asgard lands next to Oklahoma, other people on Earth are going to notice. Which is where, you know, Norman Osborn gets involved and things yeah. like this. No, I mean, like I said, I mean, and like you said, it's personal bias. Maybe it's my personal bias with Adam Warlock. 
that makes me think it would be a little higher. But then again, I also was saying somewhere between 15 to 20, I thought. so. And you said yeah. 15, so I maybe I'm not that far off. No, no. It's If I were to come up with a list of the best Adam Warlock stories, this is number one. Yeah. So if you've got any interest in the character, track this down. Oh, yeah. So did you have any final thoughts? I love the silver afro. I love the Megasus hair. It's awesome. That is such a disco outfit. He's so disco. Purple skin, the old Adam Warlock costume, but in purple with a silver lightning bolt, and bright silver hair in an afro. It's awesome. That's a reason to read it right there, just to see the Megas. Yeah, and the color scheme is distinct, and it's rereading this, I did notice... uh... Right when one of the early actions when Adam is tipping towards that side is the first time we see him colored purple as well, which I, I swear right, was yeah. a little bit of a foreshadowing. All right. So, uh, Al, thanks. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Uh, do you want to remind your or remind the listeners where they can track you down and hear your other stuff? Sure. You can find me for the most part on Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Search on iTunes. Just type in Adam Warlock. Or you can go to resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. I should still be doing another side podcast I'm actually doing, which I'm actually working on bringing back right now, called Four Color Fanboys. Actually, I'm going to be doing a, uh, my own show on there for a while weekly, subtitled Selling My Comics, because I'm moving cross-country, and um, I also have big vet bills to pay now. So I am going to be selling off the major- uh, as much as I can of my 30 or so year comics. So we're going to be documenting that, because... Give him one that give him one last send off. So just type in four color fanboys on iTunes, or you can go to fourcolor.podwits.com. Okay. And for those of you listening at home, next week we're going to be dealing with Fantastic Four: The Galactus Trilogy. So these are issues 48, 49, and 50 of the original run of Fantastic Four. So a little more cosmic. <laughs> yeah, it's it has been reprinted in the 100 Greatest Marvels of All Time issue number one. It can be found on Comixology. It's in Essential Fantastic Four, Volume 3, Fantastic Four Omnibus, Volume 2, both of the Fantastic Four Git Corp DVD ROMs, Marvel Digital Unlimited, Marvel Masterworks Fantastic Four, Volume 5, Marvel Treasury Edition, Number 2, Marvel TV Galactus The Real Story, Number 1, Marvel Visionaries Jack Kirby, Volume 1, Marvel's Greatest Comics, Issues 35 to 37, and Silver Surfer The Coming of Galactus, Issue Number 1, from 1993. So plenty of opportunities to track that one down. It's out there somewhere, basically, you're saying. Yeah. If if you know where, if you have a tendency or an inclination to look for reprints, you will find this. It's like it's an important story or something. Yeah, we'll have to figure out why that is next week. You know, I, I guess maybe this Galactus guy actually amounts to something. Never heard of him. Never. Okay, so please feel free to read this and all shows that you listen to on iTunes or Stitcher. It really does help visibility of the podcasts. You can also check out the discussion forum on Facebook for this, where we do some more live conversation because these are being recorded very out of order. So it's hard to do listener feedback on the air. Yeah. (laughs) And finally, thank you for listening. Goodbye.